Hello, I'm Rob, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 19th of July, 2023. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking dash news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 880 We hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading this week, we have myself, Rob, Christine, Angela, Liz, Helen, Mina, Simon, and of course not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition we have Local News of the Black Country, an update from Beacon, with a special edition of this week's Sports News, the quiz with Mina, a fortnightly bulletin of practical information and sight loss tips, a did you know section from Flashback Roger. The weather for the week ahead, and we have an article sharing some tips on things to do in the garden this month. Local news to start though, with Liz, Christine, but first, we have Angela. A major change affecting thousands of claims for personal independence payment, PIP, is to be introduced from August 2023. PIP pays up to £691 a month, almost £9,000 a year, based on 52 weeks, to those with long-term health conditions and disabilities. Claimants' payments are reviewed at intervals to see if they are getting the right amount and check for fraud and errors, and this process is getting an overhaul next month. There are more than 70,000 people claiming PIP in Birmingham, the highest number of any local authority in Britain, and another 22,000 in Sandwell, 18,000 in Warsaw, nearly 18,000 in Dudley, and more than 16,000 in Wolverhampton. Benefits advice site RightsNet say the DWP is changing the way claims are reviewed in August. A shake-up of light-touch reviews given to people who are awarded long-term PIP payments for up to 10 years because their condition or disability is unlikely to improve will mean that from next month the process of checking their claim should be much easier. A much shorter and simpler form will need to be filled in instead of the usual 16-page document and claimants are also unlikely to have to go through another face-to-face health assessment. Those who are on long-term claims that are now up for checking by the DWP will see the new streamlined process come in from next month. This includes those who went on to PIP when it was first introduced in 2013 and have reached the 10-year maximum claim before a review is needed. Tom Persglove, DWP Minister of State for Disabled People, Health and Work, had recently confirmed that light-touch reviews for the chronically ill would be minimal and done on paper without the need for a face-to-face appointment. 
He also said the department was looking at creating a new severe disability group so that those with extreme and lifelong conditions would get simplified access to PIP, employment support allowance and universal credit, without needing to go through a face-to-face assessment or frequent reassessments. So, how are PIP claims reviewed? Here's a review lowdown with Liz. When PIP is awarded, decisions are made as to the award type and, where appropriate, the review period. The award type may be a fixed-length award with a set period of time before a review of the award takes place, an ongoing award with no end date where the intention will be to carry out a light-touch review after 10 years. DWP Minister Tom Purseglove recently explained claimants with very high levels of functional impairment who are on the highest PIP awards and whose needs are only likely to increase should receive an ongoing award of PIP with a light touch review at the 10-year point. A short-term award that will not be subject to review but will end within a small number of years unless a new claim is submitted This mostly applies to the terminally ill or to claimants who are expected to see their health improve in the short term. DWP guidance says award types and review periods are set on an individual basis based on the claimant's needs and the likelihood of those needs changing. This takes into account such matters as planned treatment therapy or learning, adapting to manage a condition. For fixed-length awards, the review period usually ranges from a minimum of nine months to a maximum of 10 years. Review periods of less than nine months are set only in exceptional circumstances. An award of two years or less is considered short-term. From May 31, 2019, a guidance change for claimants whose review would have taken place when they were of state pension age means that they are now generally awarded ongoing awards. For more information on PIP, including how to claim, visit the gov.uk website section for this benefit. Thousands of families in England, Wales and Northern Ireland are missing out on free food vouchers that could help with the cost of living crisis. More than 200,000 families have been warned they are missing out of the Healthy Start scheme. Collectively, those families who haven't applied are losing out on more than £880,000 per week. The NHS scheme offers support to families with young children and pregnant women who are on a low income and receiving qualifying benefits. It can be used to buy healthy foods such as milk, infant formula and fruit and vegetables. Those eligible could receive top-ups of £4.25 or £8.50 per week based on their child's age. You can apply by email or phone if you're at least 10 weeks pregnant or have at least one child under four years old and get income support, universal credit working tax credit run-on and you do not get child tax credit or pension credit which includes the child addition. You can also apply by email or phone if you're at least 10 weeks pregnant and either under 18 years old and not getting any benefits, getting child tax credit and not getting working tax credit and your family's annual income is £16,190 or less or getting Income-Related Employment and Support Allowance, ESA. 
Despite the benefits, the Healthy Start Scheme's current take-up rate is just 63.9%, which is below the government's target of 75% for March 2023. Sue Davies, Head of Consumer Rights and Food Policy at Which magazine, is calling for action from the government and supermarkets to increase awareness of the programme via promotions, well-trained staff and accessibility for stores and online purchases. She added, the Healthy Start scheme has potential to help many hard-up families who are struggling with the unrelenting cost of living crisis and have had to skip meals or use food banks as a result. For more information, you can contact the NHS scheme by email healthy.start at nhsbsa.nhs.uk or by calling 0300 330 7010. Up next, we hear from Helen, who of course has for us the Beacon Update. Hi everyone, it's Helen from Beacon. Back with your weekly update of everything that's happening here at the charity. Now, I'm starting this week with a really lovely story. We were absolutely delighted to welcome the team behind the JW Hunt Cup to Beacon recently. They visited our centre to hand over an amazing £15,000 donation that was raised during the historic football competition's most recent season. The Cup was founded in 1926 in Ada Beacon and the latest donation takes a total raise for our charity since the competition first began to more than £400,000. Isn't that amazing? We'd like to thank everyone involved in the Cup for their incredible support. We're so proud to be associated with this amazing competition and we're already looking forward to kick off next season. Wow, what an amazing thing, eh? Now, next up, something a bit different. It's not how you bowl, but how you roll. We've recently held our first Crown Green bowling session in our community activity programme. Sounds a lot of fun. We've always got lots going on. If you'd like to find out more, head to our website, www.beaconvision.org to find out what sessions we have taken place and when. You can alternatively give us a call on 01902-880-111. Now, do you know someone who needs to say thank you to a teacher soon? Well, why not get them a gift from Beacons Made by Fab Lab Range? We think that it's a perfect way to show your appreciation as purchases help ensure no one has to face sight loss alone. We've got some really lovely items for sale, including a wooden keyring that says, thank you for helping me grow with some lovely flowers on it. So you can order now via our Etsy site and it's etsy.com and just search for Made by Fab Lab. That's etsy.com and search for Made by Fab Lab. So that's it for this week. I'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Cheers that update, Helen. Up now, we're our next block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear Christine. An ultra-rare copy of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone has sold for a spellbinding £10,500, more than double its expected value, at auction. After being withdrawn from Wolverhampton Library, the hardback copy was bought for just 30p by a Staffordshire collector who sadly died earlier this year. 
the rare edition went under the hammer with Richard Winterton Auctioneers at the Litchfield Auction Centre. Published by Bloomsbury in 1997 with a laminated board cover, the book is one of only 500 first edition first impressions and, of those, one of only 300 sent to libraries. The sale attracted international interest with the winning bid based over the internet from Los Angeles. Originally estimated at three to £5,000 due to its much-loved condition as an ex-library book, interest for the book surpassed initial expectations and the rare edition went for more than £10,000. Auctioneer Richard Winterton said, We're absolutely delighted with this result. The first in the original series of books by J.K. Rowling, this copy has been clearly well-read and still has its library identification sticker, spine sticker with the letter J, withdrawal stamp and 30p selling price. The book was part of the personal collection of a Staffordshire man who had a lifelong passion for books and ephemera. He lived in Brereton, Rugeley for a number of years before latterly moving to Chase Terrace, Burntwood and passed away unexpectedly at the beginning of the year, aged 55. Auctioneers discovered the book after a painstaking search of hundreds of boxes of his belongings. The man's sister, who asked not to be named, said before the sale, he started dealing in books and memorabilia when he was still at school. He would go to jumble sales and church fairs and would come back with a pile of annuals or comics. He would then take them to a second-hand shop in Hensford to sell or take them into school to swap with friends. That was his passion from an early age onwards. The family knew that he had acquired a valuable Harry Potter book, but had feared it had gone astray. When he moved house four years ago, he literally put everything into hundreds of boxes, many of which went into containers, his sister added. We knew that he had got the book, but if you asked him to pinpoint it, he couldn't. So for the last four years, this book has been lost, and I think we had come to the conclusion that it had disappeared into the ether somewhere. An award-winning former journalist has penned a new horror, drawing on inspiration from his West Midlands roots. G.J. Phelps, who began his journalistic career with the Warsaw Advertiser newspaper, has written 13 Doors. The story focuses on news reporter Joe Baxter, who has a plan to use his newsroom contacts across England to find 13 haunted places to stay and then record his experience in a book. From an abandoned cinema to a dank pub cellar, from a World War II airfield to a lonely, landlocked cruise liner, he is prepared to spend long nights in the cold and dark, but has no idea what he is about to unleash. For, as he endures increasingly dangerous vigils, meeting a succession of gruesome, tragic and terrifying spectres, a terrible truth begins to emerge. Something, or someone, is reaching out to Joe, awakening long-buried memories of his father's death, a dark family secret and his teenage brush with madness. The spine-tingling supernatural mystery entwined with chilling ghost stories 
includes some stories based on real legend from the West Midlands. The Black Country Living Museum inspired the setting of one of the stories, while the Victorian graveyards in the Jewellery Quarter and the Birmingham Catacombs plays a key role in the story. Mr Phelps, who now runs a successful PR consultancy and was a former editor of the Tamworth Herald, said... I've always been a devotee of horror and supernatural fiction and, as an 80s kid, grew up watching classic movies of the time. I wanted to write a book that paid homage to those influences while adding something new and different to the genre. Most of all, I wanted to write a horror novel that was rooted in my journalistic background, that featured the kind of odd, real-life stories that occasionally come into all newsrooms. So, while 13 Doors is fiction, there are a handful of stories and anecdotes in it that are based on real stories. Stories that journalists couldn't explain. Dudley Council is making a £250,000 bid to the Forestry Commission for 365 trees, one for each day of the year. The Local Authority Treescapes Fund, LATF, supports local authority-led tree planting and natural colonisation of trees outside woodland areas. This means planting may take place in areas where some greenery is already established, such as parks, riverbanks and copses, but will also include areas where no woodland currently exists, such as smaller green areas alongside roads and footpaths. The fund targets areas where new growth is needed, including areas which have been damaged in the past or expected to decline in the future, as well as vacant community spaces and areas affected by tree diseases, such as ash dieback. It also aims to improve landscape connectivity outside of woodland, creating improved green corridors with the added benefits of carbon absorption, flood protection and support for biodiversity. The funding will provide cash for 365 trees and their aftercare and maintenance for three years. Councillor Damien Caulfield, Dudley Council's Cabinet Member for Highways and Environmental Services said, as a council, we continue to invest in tree planting. Last year saw an investment of £50,000 to increase tree coverage across the borough, as well as planting thousands of trees for the Queen's Green Canopy Project and five tiny forests in partnership with Friends Groups and Seven Trent Water. This additional funding bid could see us planting and maintaining an additional 365 trees one for each day of the year, and I look forward to hearing the outcome. If the bid is successful, the plan will be to focus planting in wards with the lowest canopy coverage, which score highly on the National Index of Multiple Deprivation. The bid process and assessment takes around six months, so if successful trees could be planted by spring 2024.
Up now, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Well, with extreme weather over the weekend, cancelling numerous events to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Black Country Day, I thought we'd do something Boston to bring our region's festival to the talking news. So did you know that? There are hidden meanings to our town and village names. As we go about our daily lives, we may visit places and say their names without a second thought. I'm popping to Bilston Market, you might say. Or, I'm heading to the pool at Tetnall. To us, modern English speakers, the names have no ulterior connotations, they are just simple nouns. But peeling back the pages of time, we can see how towns and villages originally got their names. In the medieval period, it was easier for people to reference a settlement by a type of tree, a hill, or the name of a landowner. Sometimes, the word would be put together to include a geographical landmark and a person's name. In the Black Country, places were named in Old English as most areas were settled by the Anglo-Saxons, who spoke that language. But over time, the translation of the original place names have been lost, and the language has evolved. But for this week's quiz, Mina has got six towns and villages according to the translations of their original names. Some names may be easier to guess than others. Translations are loose ones, but can you guess which place is which? So, take it away, Mina. Thanks, Roger. Welcome to this week's Black Country Day Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in this week's edition. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question 1. Which town or city is known as Bishop's Fort? Is it A. Rowley Regis B. Stourbridge C. Wollstone or D. Bushbury? Question 2. Which town or city is known as Broom Village? Is it A. Aldridge B. Amblecourt C. Bushbury or D. West Bromwich? Question 3. Which town or city is known as a small valley belonging to Teotta? Is it A. Ashmore Park, B. Tetlin Hall, C. Tividale, or D. Oldbury? Question 4. Sedge's clearing in the woods is that A. Sedgley, B. Smethwick, C. Seasden, or D. Netherton? Question 5. Hunting grounds belongs to the king. Relates to which town or village? Is it A. Wolverhampton, B. Sedgley, C. Apagornal, or D. Rowley Regis? And finally, question 6. Clearing in the woods on a hill where the Barat Rose flower grew. Could that be A. Bilston, B. Briley Hill, C. Bradley, or D. Warsaw? 
Roger and I will be back with you later in the show to give the answers. But for now, best of luck. Cheers for those questions, Mina. I'll get my mind working on those. Up now, however, it's another block of local news. Searle roared his way into SW19 folklore, outgunning Yaroslav Demon to end a 61-year wait for a British boys tennis singles champion at Wimbledon. Wolverhampton teenager Searle's progress has been extraordinary, beating three seeded players to reach the final, the first Brit to do so since Jack Draper in 2018. It was a run that captured attention from outside the tennis world, receiving a good luck message from Wolves boss Julen Lopetegui after winning his semi-final encounter on Saturday. With friends all wearing t-shirts emblazoned with Henry's Barmy Army supporting him on court one, he never once looked phased by the task at hand. A break in each set was all he needed to fend off the fifth seed Arms aloft after triumphing 6-4-6-4, his win coming on the 25th anniversary of Roger Federer's success in the same event. I'll definitely try to enjoy the moment over the next few days and few weeks. Then I think I'll get back to it and try and win some more titles, said Searle, 17, who trains at the LTA's National Academy in Loughborough. There were obviously a few nerves flying about before the match, which is to be expected playing on such a prestigious court at such a prestigious tournament. I definitely came to the tournament with a little bit of confidence from the French Open and tournaments leading up into this. I didn't really come into the tournament with too much of an outcome goal sort of thing. I tried just to beat whoever my opponent was each match and see where that took me. It ended up being pretty special. Not since 1962 had Britain had a champion in this event, with Stanley Matthews Jr. the champion on that occasion. Matthews was the son of the Wizard of Dribble, but Searle did not need any magic to win this match. A simple formula consisting of a booming serve and equally impressive ground strokes getting the job done. Searle added, My serve It's a crucial part of my game, being quite a big build, a tall build. It's definitely won me a lot of my matches this week. I've been working really hard the past couple of years with my coaching team. It's starting to pay off a little bit. I had quite a big growth spurt in lockdown. It wasn't really too much of a weapon before that. It took a while to get used to the longer limbs and the coordination, but it seems to be okay now. Searle, who is yet to decide whether he will play the US Open Junior event, is trained by Morgan Phillips in Loughborough. Phillips has worked with a teenager for less than a year, but believed heading into the tournament that his charge could deliver on the big stage. I never had a doubt about his ability. What we saw at the French Open was very strong, he commented. 
I think that gave us a lot of confidence, but it was about getting him to peak for this tournament. We seem to have got it right, full credit to him. It's not just the final, it's the whole week really. It's pretty special how much composure he had, embraced every situation and embraced the crowd. He obviously likes the big stage. Now we head from Wimbledon to Wolverhampton, where there was a slightly different call for... New balls, please. A dog courted disaster after swallowing two tennis balls, prompting warnings over using the equipment when playing with pets. While it is advantage Loki after the items were successfully removed from the five-year-old crossbreed, a charity said there should be no return service. The PDSA, the UK's leading vet charity, said it dealt with such matters which could become life-threatening every year. Loki is bouncing back at home in Wolverhampton after emergency surgery. He started being sick following a game of fetch and an x-ray at a PDSA hospital revealed the two balls lodged in his stomach. His owner Amy said, Most of his toys are the super strong ones. He's a gentle giant but his toys don't last long if they aren't tough. But his favourites are tennis balls. He's obsessed. The PDSA has advised owners to only use toys specifically designed for dogs. PDSA vet Catherine Burke said the size of tennis balls and the way they bounce means that there is a risk the ball can get stuck at the back of your dog's throat, causing them to choke. She also warned the felt layer on tennis balls could have a sandpaper-like effect on a dog's teeth and over time could wear them down and cause pain and difficulty chewing. The charity said balls designed for dogs were less likely to fall apart when chewed and owners should choose one big enough to be grabbed with the teeth and carried but not fit perfectly in the mouth. Time now for our latest edition of Sight Loss Tips provided by the charity InfoSound. For further details on any of the items and practical information in this bulletin you can also contact Beacon's team of sight loss advisors on 01902 880 and that number again 01902 880 TNF Soundings Features from across the UK News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. Hello and welcome to InfoShorts from InfoSound, a brief weekly bulletin of news, advice and practical information to help living with sight loss. And in this edition, RNIB's Connect Facebook groups, a sock-related tip, a handheld video magnifier, a different use for a liquid level indicator, gardening for vision-impaired people and a simple key security idea. RNIB's Connect Facebook groups describe themselves as a supportive space for anyone affected by sight loss to talk to others in a similar situation, to ask questions and share tips and experiences. They say that anyone who's blind or partially sighted is welcome to join these social media groups that discuss a range of topics led by those taking part. 
Each group has at least one RNIB staff member as a moderator and they're supported by volunteers. There are several groups, in fact, across the UK arranged by geographic region, with eight groups covering different areas of England and separate groups in Wales, in Scotland and in Northern Ireland. If you'd like to know more about these RNIB Connect Facebook groups and how to get involved, then you might like to start by giving RNIB's helpline a call on 0303-123-9999. That's 0303-123-9999. Or they can be emailed at helpline at RNIB. .org.uk InfoSound Hello, my name is Chris from Rawton in Wiltshire. My tip for keeping your socks together is whenever I buy a new pair of socks, I put a safety pin around the top of them so whenever I wash them, I put the safety pin on the top of the chest of drawers and then once I use them again, I'll just put the safety pin back on them. Thank you. InfoSound. There's a range of handheld video magnifiers called the Ruby range. The cheapest of these has a 4.3-inch screen and built-in LED lighting, and it provides magnified high-contrast images with, say the manufacturers, no distortion. Weighing 8 ounces, it can be put into a pocket or purse and brought out when needed for magnifying things like prescription labels, food cans, bus timetables and the like. The screen image has a continuous zoom with 2 times to 14 times magnification and it has a freeze frame function and images can be saved and transferred to a computer via a USB connection for later viewing. Being very portable, it's powered by rechargeable or disposable AAA batteries, which are expected to provide two hours of continuous use. It's supplied with batteries, a charger, a wrist strap, a case and a USB cable. And there's an optional reading stand that can be bought for it. InfoSound Now, if I say that this week's hint, tip, life hack, whatever you want to call it, is about a liquid level indicator, which for over 25 years has probably been one of the better-known daily living aids, you might well think that there's not much to learn here. But hang on a moment, because we're about to eavesdrop on one of the many useful daily living videos produced by Mark Belcher at Henshaw's Sight Loss Support Charity. And in the video, Mark runs through the basics of a liquid level indicator, but he also also passes on another rather different way to use the ubiquitous device. It's a safety device so instead of say pouring boiling water into a cup or a glass with your thumb in there which you don't want to do because you'll hurt yourself it's a safe way of monitoring where the liquid goes okay so I'm gonna pour this water in and it's basically gonna hit two little prongs okay that's attached to a battery and a tone so you pour it in Nice and safe. As soon as it hits the prongs, it makes a wonderful sound, right? So then, you can fill it a little bit more, and it go even crazier, right? Which is the milk bit. So that is a liquid level indicator, right? So I'm gonna stop that. Right, well, here's the little trick, 
right? So uh, a guy called Mike Brace told me he never uses this device as a liquid level indicator. He uses it to check fuses. And I know fuses don't blow that often, but they still do, right? So here's a blown fuse. So essentially, if you put the fuse across the two prongs, you'll hear nothing because it's blown, i.e. there's no connection between the prongs. If you put a good fuse in, you're going to get a tone. I think that's brilliant, right? I would use that for that use. And you can find that full YouTube video called How to Pour Liquids Safely with No Vision within Henshaw's online Knowledge Village at tiny.cc forward slash hw01. That's tiny.cc forward slash hw01. And liquid level indicators can often be found at resource centres run by local sight loss charities, as well as from suppliers like the Partially Sighted Society and RNIB. We're giving contact details for both of those charities in this week's bulletin, and liquid level indicators typically cost somewhere between £10 and £12. Infosound. Now, if you fancy getting into gardening, quite a pleasant thing to do at this time of year, then the charity Thrive has a fair amount of practical advice and information for anyone who's blind or partially sighted. They produce a range of leaflets, fact sheets and books. Some are free, some are not, and most are available in a range of formats, including large print, audio CD, daisy CD and braille. Just to give a couple of examples, Getting On With Growing In Containers is available as either a daisy or audio CD, each costing £3. In large print, it costs £8. And their gardening yearbook costs £4.70 in large print and £3 as an audio CD. Other publications cover things like growing food and there's a two-volume general Getting On With Gardening book available in all formats, including Braille. And the Braille versions cost £3.50 for Volume 1 and £5 for Volume 2. And to find out more about these accessible gardening titles, Thrive may be phoned on 0118-988-5688. That's 0118-988-5688 or emailed at info at thrive.org.uk Infosound Securakey is a really simple idea. It's just an expanding chrome wristband and key ring designed to keep a key securely fixed to a person's wrist and so remove the need to go looking for it in a handbag or pocket and that's it. The Partially Sighted Society has identified this device as potentially useful for someone with low or no vision, and they sell them for £4.99 each. And you can get more information by calling the Partially Sighted Society on 01302 965195. That's 01302 965195. Nine five, or they may be emailed at reception at partsite.org.uk. And that brings us to the end of this 29th edition of the weekly Info Shorts Bulletin from Infosound. 
So until next week, goodbye and thanks very much for listening. InfoSound. TNS Soundings. Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another block of local news. And finally, a bit of history. There's nothing worse than Birmingham in the Black Country being mistaken for one and the same place. We a Brummies. But if you think the banter between Brummies and Black Country folk today is bad, you should have been around in 1642. Back then, in an attempt to stave off Oliver Cromwell's uprising, King Charles asked Birmingham Master Swords Cutler, Robert Porter, to supply him with weaponry. Porter replied that he would not, at any price, supply that man of blood. So, having been let down by those treacherous brummies, the king did what anyone with a bit of sense would do. He turned to a dependable black country mon to dig him out of a hole. And sure enough, Dud Dudley delivered the goods. The metallurgical genius, arguably the founding father of the Industrial Revolution, offered to turn out all sorts of bar iron fit for making of muskets, carbines and great bolts more cheaply, more speedily and more excellence than can be done in any other way. And while he was at it, the king also bought his cannons from Dudley and his shot from Starbridge. Of course, this wasn't enough to save his skin, and it's probably best not to ask where the axe which separated him from his head was made. But the point of this tale is that even at the time of the English Civil War, long before the term black country had ever been thought of, this area was already an industrial tour de force that the rest of the world could only hope to follow. Indeed, going back still further to 1560, when houses were made from mud and a bonfire in the lounge was the height of urban chic, Thomas Parks was already building the first blast furnace in West Bromwich. More to the point, in 1621, the aforementioned Dud Dudley started commercially smelting iron with coke, effectively marking the birth of the modern iron and steel industry. And that was just the start of it. In 1712, when men were still walking around in breeches, Thomas Newcomen built the first commercially successful steam engine at Dudley's Conigree Mine, which in turn paved the way for the birth of the railways just over a century later, when Stourbridge-based Foster and Rastrick led the way. And if this is not enough to convince you of the black country's importance in shaping the world we live in today, ponder this statistic. At the height of the Industrial Revolution, when Birmingham was still a sleepy backwater, it was said that half of the world's steel was produced within 20 miles of Dudley Castle. That's about the same percentage as is made in the whole of China today. Of course, nothing goes on forever, and the black country's role as the workshop of the world is long behind it. The billowing chimneys of Round Oak, Stuart and Lloyd, and Patent Shaft have all vanished, and we shall not see their like again. 
the once polluted and <laughs> aromatic canals which helped make the black country the centre of global manufacturing and now pristine wildlife havens. But while the grime has gone, so too has the prosperity they brought to the area. The old bean car works at Tipton, which continued as part of British Leyland right up until the 1980s, has been replaced by modern starter homes. It is easy to romanticise the past, which is why the Black Country Living Museum, which last weekend unveiled a £30 million extension, has gone from strength to strength. And last year, the region attracted a record of 33 million visitors, which might, at least in part, mark the start of a new chapter in our region's illustrious story. Because while it is important that we honour our area's illustrious past, from Anskulf to Pequini's arrival at Dudley in the Norman Conquest, to the demolition of Round Oak in 1984, it is even more crucial that we look to the future. For nearly a thousand years, the success of the black country has been built on its ability to innovate and reinvent itself. And with its unique combination of ingenuity, enterprise, not to mention the famous black country work ethic, we can be certain that there will be plenty of exciting times ahead for this remarkably resilient corner of the globe. Wishing out all a belated but Boston Black Country Day. Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well, now's the time to find out, as we have the quiz answers. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's Flashback Black Country Day quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's ask Roger and see. Question one. Which town or city is known as Bishop's Fort? Is it D. Bushbury? Oh, for question one. Yes, that's correct, Mina. The answer is D. Bushbury. History of Bushbury can be traced back to at least 1086, where it was recorded in the Doomsday Book, at Biscopsbury. It's believed that the spelling was a combination of the Old English word Bishop, meaning bishop, and Burr, meaning fortification. When translated, Bushbury translates to Bishop's Fortification. Question 2. Not sure about this answer, Roger, but which town or city is known as Broom Village? And believe it or not, the answer is D, West Bromwich. West Bromwich was recorded in the Doomsday Book as being spelt Bromwick. The first part of the name meaning broom, and the second part wick was the Old English word for village. As a result, West Bromwich translated to Broom Village. Question 3. Which town or city is known as Small Valley belonging to Toyota? Could this be B, Tettenhall, Roger? Well, great work everyone for question three, because the correct answer is B. Tetanol. Tetanol is a village located on the northwestern edge of Wolverhampton, believed to derive from the name Teotter's Hull. Hull was the old English word for hollow or small valley of land, while Teotter may refer to a landowner. When put together, it meant small valley or hollow belonging to Teotter. 
The village was the site of a huge battle between the Anglo-Saxons and Danish Vikings in the year 910, and it had features in the Netflix series The Last Kingdom. Tetanol was also recorded in the Doomsday Book. Question 4. Seds clearing in the woods was a tough one, Roger. Any help with this one? For question four, quite remarkably, the town of Sedgley, located in the north of the Dudley Borough, was first mentioned in 985 AD in a charter from King Ethelred to Lady Wolfrunner, and the latter who was an Anglo-Saxon noblewoman. The first part of Sedgley translates to a person called Sek, which means sword-bearing man or warrior. The second part, Lee, translates to Lea, meaning clearing. In Old English, the name meant Seg's Clearing. Sedgley was also named in the Doomsday Book. So the answer here is A. Sedgley. Question 5. Hunting grounds belongs to the king. I know it can't be A. Wolverhampton. Ah, oh, correct. It's not Wolverhampton, Mina, as some may have guessed. The answer here is actually D. Rowley Regis. Rowley Regis was not recorded in the Doomsday Book. However, its history can be traced back to 1100. Rowley was part of the hunting grounds owned by the king, who reigned at the time. The Regis, which is Latin for that of the king, was added to the name in 1140, signifying the hunting grounds belonging to the king. And finally, question six. Clearing in the woods on a hill where the bra rose flower grew. That must be B, Briley Hill, Roger. In question six, that's correct, Mina. The answer is B, Briley Hill. Briley Hill is made up of three words. The first two being Old English. Briar comes from the Old English word for brewer, meaning where the briar rose flower grows. Then Lee comes from Lea, meaning woodland or clearing, followed by hill. So there you have it, Briley Hill. So, how did you do in that little quiz? I, of course, got every single question right. But then I did have the answers. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you all did well. But for me, I'm off. All this talk of the black country has made me hungry. So I think I'll have some bread put in today with my cup of tea. So till next time then, I'll just say bye for now. Take care. Keep well. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra! Up now, we're to hear what the web has in store for us. Brought to us as always, by Mina. weather for this week ahead is forecast to be rather unsettled with some sunny spells but plenty of showers. Temperatures are forecast to remain cool with highs of around 18 degrees. With continued cloud and showers expected, UV levels are set to remain at medium. The sunrise and sunset times are 5.15am for the sunrise and 9.15pm for the sunset. For Friday 21st of July, it is set to look a little like summer. With light clouds and lighter wind forecast for most of the day, we should see some sunny spells breaking through with temperatures reaching around 18 degrees. The spell of rain looks set to remain with us throughout the weekend as well, with both Saturday and Sunday offering prolonged spells of showers. With a gentle breeze and a chance of the sun making a brief appearance here or there, temperatures over the weekend will continue to hover around 18 degrees. 
On to next week and the unsettled weather will continue to dominate with plenty of sharp showers. It is forecast for rain to remain in the region for Monday 24th of July and continue right through to Thursday 27th of July. With the gentle breeze remaining as we go through to the week, we will see temperatures at highest at around 18 degrees. The showers are forecast to be light but persistent all week. All in all, it looks like we'll be dodging the showers again for another week. So, that's your forecast for this week and as always, enjoy the weather. Up now, a special edition of this week's sports feature. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Nikki with an article written by Heather. Three inspiring stories demonstrate that a visual impairment shouldn't be a barrier to following your dreams. First is a story about a charity from Bolton which is challenging perceptions about who can drive by organising racetrack days for visually impaired and disabled people. The charity Speed of Sight was set up in 2012 by blind racing driver Mike Newman. Mike was born blind but has always loved cars and wanted to find a way to allow other visually impaired and disabled people to share his love of cars. As a child, Mike's dream was to be a racing driver, and over the years he has worked hard to find a way to live that dream. Along the way, he has held nine records as the fastest blind person in the world. These include a car land speed record at 200 miles per hour, a truck land speed record at 120 miles per hour, and a water speed record at 102 miles per hour. Now Mike's charity organises race days to give others the opportunity to drive at high speeds using adapted cars with dual controls, twin steering wheels and spoken instructions. One of the charity's recent successes was a two-day race meeting in July on the Isle of Man. A team of 20 volunteers and instructors helped run the event that allowed some 30 local visually impaired and disabled people to experience the thrill of high-speed racing. Meanwhile, on the archery field, a British Army veteran is preparing to compete against elite archers at the world's largest sporting event for blind and partially sighted athletes. Clive Jones from Newport in Wales will be competing at this summer's World Blind Games, which are being held in Birmingham from the 18th to the 27th of August. Clive was blinded 21 years ago in an unprovoked assault while he was serving in the Army. It was during his rehabilitation with Blind Veterans UK that he fell in love with archery. Clive shot an international personal best for GB at last year's European Para Championships in Rome and hopes to improve further at this year's World Games in Birmingham. Clive credits the charity Blind Veterans UK with helping him to adapt to life after losing his sight. That's where I started to accept, adapt and live like a blind man. They taught me how to live again. I can do most things now as I have the confidence and equipment to live independently thanks to them and that's where I also took up archery. He added, There were so many sports I had tried but none were as therapeutic as archery. I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder as well and the relaxing feeling I get when I am shooting is phenomenal. Clive is hoping for a new personal best at the Birmingham Games but also wants to inspire other blind and partially sighted people to take up sport and exercise recommending the charity British Blind Sport as a route to finding out what is available in your area. And finally, there is visually impaired actor Richard Simpson, 
who has just completed a solo 485-mile walk to raise money for RNIB. Richard, who lives in Greenwich, London, walked the Camino de Santiago in Spain with just his white cane to assist him. The walk has raised money for the RNIB. Richard was keen to do something to support RNIB after losing 80% of his sight due to glaucoma. The undulating walk, crossing different terrains and mountains, runs from France to Santiago in northern Spain, following a well-known historic pilgrimage route. Since losing his sight, Richard has taken part in other physical activities to raise money for RNIB, and he believes that others living with sight loss like him should explore their own capabilities. His advice is, don't think about doing something, go do it. DNF Soundings Want to know how to get ahead in the garden for the coming season? Here's some top tips from the experts at MK Pulse magazine. CNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. This is Jan with some seasonal tips and ideas from the gardening expert at the MK Pulse magazine based in Milton Keynes. Prickly Pals. We always talk about the blooms living in our garden, but significantly fewer of us will be lucky enough to have hedgehogs living in our outside spaces. But they are definitely a friend to gardeners. They eliminate beetles, caterpillars and invertebrates and have a charm all of their own. Sadly, today the odds are stacked against our prickly pals. Busy roads, disappearing habitat and global warming have all played a part in depleting their numbers. These days, the nearest many of us get to seeing a hog in the wild is when we spot another casualty on the roadside. Despite a recent report finding UK hedgehog populations to be stabilising after years of decline, they are still on the Mammal Society red list as vulnerable to extinction, says Kim Tondrike from Dean's Hanger Hedgehog Rescue. But if we can encourage them into our safe garden spaces, we may be able to help them thrive again. Dean's Hanger Hedgehog Rescue was founded by Rachel and Don Matthews in 2021. Both have animal science degrees and are responsible for the bulk of triage care and medications administered. But a mini army of volunteers helps the charity with its work too. It doesn't only take a village to raise a child, but to nurture hogs back to health too, it seems. We currently have 10 hedgehogs in our primary shed. We've got two ready to be released in our old shed, a mum and three babies in our outdoor hutch, and several in foster care. Attracting these beautiful animals into your garden needn't be hard work. Hedgehogs may wander up to two miles a night and need to be able to move easily between gardens. You can install a hedgehog highway to encourage them to visit. It's as easy as creating a gap or a hole in your fence or hedges large enough for a hedgehog to crawl through, about the size of a CD. These creatures don't like immaculate gardens, and if you've swapped grass seed for fake turf, forget it. No creature will thank you for that. Bugs can't live in it, and it contributes to the rising numbers of starving hogs taken in by rescue centres. Messy areas are a necessity for our wildlife. 
Piles of logs, leaves and wild growing spaces will encourage them. If you have a pond, ensure there is an easy escape. Rocks, steps or a log will do the job. Want to provide them with an easy meal? Stick to kitten biscuits in a bowl of fresh water. Hedgehogs don't have the best eyesight either, so make sure any netting you're using is raised so they can't get tangled in it, Kim advises. Many casualties arrive at the rescue centre with mange, parasites or ringworm, while others present with a higher burden of ticks and fleas due to underlying conditions. Predator attacks aren't uncommon either, with badgers, foxes, rats, crows and magpies regular culprits, and sometimes they arrive as a result of our failings. Please check for sleeping hedgehogs before strimming or mowing areas of longer grass, especially near hedgerows, urges Kim. We always get a few who have either ingested poison, commonly slug pellets or rat bait. These are very sad and difficult cases, and there often isn't much we can do except take them to one of the vets we partner with to end their suffering. These charming little creatures need our help. And at Dean's Hanger Hedgehog Rescue, they have a safe space if needed. But what is it that makes them so special? The European hedgehog is the UK's only spiny mammal, Kim says, and they also happen to be some of the sweetest, cutest creatures to care for. So, how does your garden grow? The successional sowing of seeds in short rows has paid off. Salad crop after another has been grown and nibbled by the children to their great delight, and has contributed to school lunches on occasions. Rhubarb has been a prolific cropper, and courgettes are best picked at 12 centimetres, that's 4 to 5 inches, by snapping their stalks. This discourages fungal infections. The leaves of spring-planted garlic are turning yellow, so the bulbs have been lifted with the hand fork and left to dry in the sun. The best time for watering is debatable, but in the morning is generally deemed to be the best before evaporation occurs, boosted weekly by using a high potash liquid feed. We fill the bird bath with water at the same time. The first of our early potatoes, raised in large tubs and earthed up with old leaf mould and sipped soil, are to be lifted. Behind the summer house is an untidy area, now established as a conservation area. We have a hedgehog house, and as baby hedgehogs may be appearing this month, we are offering meat-based dog food for them. We are leaving the patch of nettles for the caterpillars of butterflies and other insects. July, the season of early harvesting and tasting. Good luck! TNF Soundings So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish a happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, 
Wolverhampton, WV46AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening, and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who, without their support, will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!